Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right back to the phones. And joining us as he does every week at 10 o'clock, or every week when he's not out traveling the country, fishing, hunting, or going to some kind of a sports show, one of our favorite contributors, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well. I've been whining all morning that, you know, I just got back from Florida and it's cold, but you know what? It's a positive thing because we're all itching for these winter activities and it looks like maybe winter is finally coming. I tell you, it's time to see that. I actually just got back from Kansas uh, two nights ago, and I was getting a sunburn out there deer hunting. But uh, I have toured five states doing some hunting and fishing in the last month or so, and uh, I'm excited to be home. And I I think Mother Nature greeted us with this cold front, so we're excited about it. Um, I do have to give a quick shout-out, Terry. I have a couple people that are texting me from uh, from their shops, from some Uber rides. So a huge shout-out to JV and Bobby that are listening this morning. My phone's been blowing up, so I wanted to say hi to them. But, uh, yeah, Terry, winter is here, and, and honestly, this is what we've been needing. We needed a little bit of calm from the wind and a little bit of cold, and it's really the the combination of those two um, to, to get the ice going of what we need. So we're very excited about it. Yeah, we are, and you know, it, it changes a lot of things. And I I know you and I are going to talk ice fishing, but it changes it changes it for the upland game hunters. It changes your approach to waterfall hunting. You know, the changes in these weather are for hunting and fishing. Anytime we go through these changes, it opens up opportunity and we all get excited. So I guess we'll start out with, Nate, what are you seeing out there? Is there some fishable out there? Absolutely. You know, Terry, and I want to say that the, the wind is the biggest thing. When we talk about it, everybody looks at temperature, 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 and that's all they care about. When in the mountains, not necessarily talking the front range, but in the mountains, you know, our night temperatures are always cold enough to build ice. It's the wind that's killing us. You build a little skim ice during the night, and then the wind comes up and just wrecks it. So it's really a wind situation that we're dealing with more so than the cold situation. So, you know, obviously the colder it gets, the the better off it is because it builds enough ice at night where the wind can't hurt it. But lately when we've had, you know, just kind of normal cold temperatures, um, the, the biggest thing is not having wind. But as far as what we're seeing right now, you know, my go-to early ice fishery is always terriol. Uh, terriol ice, it is capped, but it has three different kind of layers or thicknesses of ice. It was 100% capped, doing good, and the wind came up and shredded it into like three pieces. Um, opened up some water, and actually an ice angler kind of got stuck on some open ice, but got off. Everything is good. But with that, we have ice thicknesses as thick as like six and a half, even seven inches on places at terriol. And then as of this morning, we have other places that barely have an inch and a half of ice, maybe two after last night. Um, so the biggest thing there is, you know, carry a spud bar, carry a, a Jiffy uh, Scout type tool, um, but really watch that ice. It is a great place to go for great numbers of early ice trout. You know, so those stalkers are readily available, but you definitely have to use some caution because, again, the, I'd say the far south section of the lake towards the dam has great thick ice, and then the very inlet section kind of more on the east side has good ice. It's really that midsection that got really beat up by the ice, what kind of lines up with that valley as you stretch off to the north. Um, so, so that's kind of the Terriol report. And Taro, same type thing. Uh, it actually is a little bit more consistent. Obviously, kind of the middle of the lake was the last to freeze. But I do a lot of my fishing off that south side 
And we're sitting on a really good, you know, five and a half to seven inches on, on a good portion um, of Antero. So that ice is going good. Um, and obviously that's a great place to go to catch numbers of fish, but also have the opportunity um, at some really big fish. So we're, we're excited to see that at Antero. Um, and then other than that, a lot of your smaller beaver ponds are all frozen up, locked up. Um, a lot of the bigger bodies are still just needing a calm day. 11-mile caps and opens, caps and opens. Um, you know, we're seeing some of the bays at 11-mile starting to go, but, but really we just need some calm. So Antero is behind the, the eight ball as far as the, the South Park fisheries go. But, again, one good calm day, and I think we'll see that lock up hard and, uh, and we'll be good in that situation. So that's kind of where we are there. Um, as far as catching before fish, I, we've been getting a lot of – what was that, Terry? I said before you move on, too, one of the things – I know we're going to talk tactics, and you talked about an angler getting stuck on the ice. Now, you and I are religious about using our spud bars and checking the thickness of the ice, but if you get out too far in the lake and the wind moves that ice and a piece breaks off, you can be in serious trouble. And I know you're going to talk tactics later. And this time of the year, most of the fishing is shallow. Absolutely, Terry. I could not agree more. I I mean, generally speaking, if you're talking trout on any of these bodies of water, a very deep day of fishing would be in that eight-foot mark. But I would say majority of my fishing is in that three to five foot. That's just where I'm finding numbers of fish and definitely finding the biggest fish in the system. No, go ahead. I interrupted you, which is hard not to do, but... (laughs) <laughs> so, so I mean, that's just kind of where we're seeing those fish. And that's where I was going to kind of bring in the, the tactic thing. So, yes, obviously, you know, carry your safety tools, carry rope, carry all of that kind of stuff. But more so to avoid even using the safety equipment, just check the ice very frequently. And, and like we always say, just be very aware of your surroundings. You know, if you're out there and that wind picks up to those 50, 60 mile an hour type things, just know, you know, in your head that the shorelines are always going to be usually the weakest link uh, in any situation the shores are turf fast the, the you know the friction of the water moving with the wind and the ice moving kind of mixed in with the fact that the sun warms up the shore um so you know it's not you know uncommon to have good ice out on the body of water and then you know as you approach the shore you get into that weaker ice so just use caution watch your surroundings um and, and i think everybody's gonna be good i know we keep hounding on it we just want to make sure everybody stays safe but i've been getting a lot of questions whether it's for christmas gifts or or just approaching the ice and i think it kind of extends from the ice show last weekend but everybody's asking about you know baits what do you approach early ice with so i was going to walk through just a handful of species and you know if i can only carry one bait or what is the first bait i drop down the hole on a guide trip um or that kind of thing so we're talking trout. If I'm at Antero where I have some bigger trout, so we're talking, you know, a fish that's exceeding that 13, 14 inch mark and all the way up into the mid 20s. So if I go to Antero, 11 mile, once it caps, I go to, you know, Delaney's, all of those type fisheries, Lake John. Um, my first bait that I drop down the hole is always going to be a rattle bait. I am taking a walleye style lipless crankbait, for, for example, um, and I'm going to drop those rattle baits down there. I'm using a bait that's about two inches long 
usually I'm going to kind of stick to a glowish kind of orange in color, really mimicking kind of uh, the, the last stages of life of, of a nice shrimp. So you have, you know, obviously freshwater shrimp up in there. You have scuds. They kind of turn oranges as they lose that, that olive color once they kind of get to that last stage of life. So those rainbows pick up on that kind of burnt orange color, that kind of glowish orange color. So a rattle bait in that kind of glowish orange color, it's big enough to where these fish see it from a ways in that clear water. It makes vibration. It makes noise. It draws fish in. It creates reactionary bite. And hands down, I catch more fish and bigger fish on that bait than anything else out there. So when I approach a fishery like that for rainbows, I am rattle bait. I'm not tipping it with any live bait. I'm not putting scent on it. I am dropping down that reaction bait, and I'm working it fairly aggressive, and it produces. It produces numbers of fish and big fish. So top pick for rainbows, hands down, it's all about that rattle bait. That's my my go-to in that situation. We've been getting a lot of questions about lake trout. I break it down to kind of two concepts. If I'm going for big fish, big fish are going to be 36 inches and larger. Um, on those big fish, I'm all about a big tube jig. No surprise. The biggest thing with the tube jigs, I go kind of opposite of what everybody thinks. So when I say big, we're talking a minimum of six inches upwards to 10 inches on that bait size. Uh, I would say my average bait dropping down is going to be like a magnum tube in that seven to eight inch mark. I'm going to fish that on like an one and an eighth ounce head, one and a quarter ounce head. Um, so big bait, big head, beating that bottom. But the biggest trick here, I'm always dark colors, not light. Everybody runs white. Everybody runs pearls. Everybody's running these lighter phases, even light chartreuses, light oranges. I'm dark, dark olives, uh, you know, dark of any shade out there. So big Lakers, it's a big bait and a dark bait. And that's kind of my trick. When I go to young Lakers, the average go-to is small tube jigs like with sucker meat. Um, in that situation, I actually fish curly tails. So if I'm looking for those, you know, 25 inch fish and less i'm using the typical like three three and a half inch curly tail grub that i'd use for walleye um that's my go-to for them i get more movement with less movement so i get more action without having to move the bait as far up and down in the water column really does well for me uh if i had to pick a second bait it would be a hair jig so actually i don't use as many small tubes for those young lakers i am all about a lot of action with a little bit of movement that's kind of the tricks there um as far as walleye go, and we'll kind of end it with that. My average walleye bait, there's a lot you can do. You have live bait, you have blade baits, you have, you know, spoons, all this. I am all about a glide bait, either a, a jigging wrap, a tika minnow. That bait gets enough action to cross over heavy into the reaction side. I cover a lot of water. It's high visibility. Uh, and my overall hook set is better with the three hooks on that bait. Uh, everybody knows walleye. They, they are just a, a finicky one through the ice. You know, they, they look at the bait forever. You finally trigger them. It is a light bite, soft mouth, vertical presence. So my go-to for those walleyes is always going to be that gliding style bait, whether it's a jigging wrap or a tikka minnow. That is definitely my go-to uh, in that situation. That's kind of a rough breakdown of some concepts that help me catch more fish at the end of the day on, on early ice. I want to get back to, to you know, an early ice and shallow ice and you know, there's, I hate generalities because every lake is different. The forage makes up a different, the cover is different. The, the drop-offs, the structure of the bottom of the lake is different, but early ice and late ice tend to be some of the best fishing. We hear these things from the Midwest because they have a lot of stationary water levels. They're, they're, they're res- they don't fish reservoirs a lot. They fish a lot of natural lakes. 
The water level doesn't vary. They get a weed line. We get a weed line maybe at Lake John or maybe at Antero, but we don't get the weed lines in a lot of these lakes. So when we talk about fishing shallow, these fish aren't just holding in pockets by a weed line, except on a couple lakes. They're actually cruising shallow looking for those life forms that are still in that shallow water, right? That's correct. So, like, when I look at that shallow water, I look for anything that can help me draw fish. So, you know, whether you have a pocket of weed, whether you have an underwater point, a rock, I'm looking for something that is out of the ordinary on the general flat. And then I always try to find a lighter shade on the bottom. So, like, in Antero right now, I have a spot that's fishing very well in about three feet of water. It's got minor weeds on the bottom, so it's basically what we call a weed mat. And then... In one little section, it goes to sand, and the sand is only probably a five-foot-by-five-foot little piece, but my baits on that sand pop. They stand out like a sore thumb, so the fish are all over the weeds feeding on scuds and bug life, but when all of a sudden my bait gets near that kind of lighter shade of sand and mud, my bait stand out, and it draws more fish in because they can see it, and that's kind of my approach, so when I look at that shallow water, look for some identifier whether it's weeds, rocks, a point, trying to find something that's just out of the ordinary that might draw fish as like some cover, um, and then I fish just off of that. I don't fish on it. I fish just off of it, and, and that's kind of my go-to for looking where to set up in that shallow water. Now, when you're looking for some of these shallow water setups, typical electronics, just your down views, become less and less effective because in – a five depth, you're only seeing about two feet at the bottom. So you're not getting a very big view until that fish actually comes in and the weight trout come in and hit. Sometimes they, you feel it before you even see it. Are you relying a lot on your electronics? Are you leaving them in the hole when you're fishing? How are you approaching that? You know, any time that I am in less than about six feet of water, I'm not even using the electronics. One, I don't want the, the noise of the ping in that shallow water because I feel like the fish can feel it. They can hear it. Um, they can visually see it sticking down below the hole. Um, so in that shallow water, I do not use electronics. I power fish. I drop down, I fish. If I don't have results, I move to the next spot. So I, I am no electronics in that shallow water. Now, if you're using some of the live units, panoptics, where you can cast to the side. Sometimes it's good to just drop them down, kind of check out what's around. But in that shallow water, those fish move so fast, a lot of times you find yourself messing around with electronics more so than you even are fishing. So I power fish that shallow water. The other thing that I will do in this early ice, if your fishery does not have snow on it yet, you can get that glass ice, and you can deter fish by sitting on top of that clear ice and the fish seeing you move, just seeing your presence, you know, white buckets, bright-colored overalls. Um, so when I'm doing that, I try to find a patch of snow. I try to find where there's been an expansion crack, and it kind of turns gray. So I try to sit on ice that the fish cannot see me on, and a lot of times that can be a little trick to helping me increase that success on that average day. Now, last question, and then we're going to go, but... A lot of times when I face these kind of conditions, I agree with you, the electronics, sometimes I'll pop it in the hole just long enough to verify the depth, but then I'll take it out. It makes cleaner fishing. But a lot of times I'll fish one real active presentation that I'll almost overlook, but I'll have a more passive presentation nearby because a lot of times I'll draw fish in and they won't always hit that active presentation. 
I mean, definitely. If you run it as a partnership and have your steel rod with your active rod, it, it is great, especially in the beginning of the day to kind of see what they want, see what they're doing. Um, and it gives you a good idea of the intel of, of what you need to be doing. Um, for sure. Just the biggest thing that I try to do is don't let either presentation take away too much of your, your, your basic mental state. So I see so many guys who are doing jaw jackers or they're putting a secondary rod 10 feet away and they're constantly running back and forth and missing bites. You know, I fish a, a bobber, but whether you're anything you're doing, work them side by side, two, three feet apart. Don't, you know, get distracted by the other technique. You're better off, you know, our friend Ron Seelhoff was the, the perfect example of this. He always said that he would rather dedicate all of his attention to one line and make it flawless opposed to two lines that are so-so. So I'm a big fan of the, the two-rod component, but the biggest thing is they need to work you know, in unison together uh, to create the optimal performance. So if you're, if you're getting distracted by one of the techniques, focus on one. At the end of the day, you'll catch more fish. We're out of time, but tell people what you got coming up. You know, we got a lot of cool stuff coming on. I'm actually at Bass Pro Denver today and tomorrow. I'll be walking in right after this. I'll be here till about 2 o'clock. I'll be here 10 to 2 tomorrow. If anybody wants, you know, firsthand ice updates, you have equipment stuff, you need to do some shopping for Christmas, we are here at Bass Pro Denver. Dustin Sigler will be joining me. So come on down. Stop in. Say hi. We're not doing seminars, but consider this like a one-on-one presentation. So come down to Bass Pro. Come see us. Talk ice fishing. We can give you updates. Prepare you for everything. So we're excited about that. Uh, I know that we have got a lot of stuff coming up on the Jiffy Facebook page and Instagram page as far as, you know, live Q&As. Our ice addiction events are going great. Remember, ice addiction sales, you get on the ice according to when you purchase your ticket. So we encourage everybody. Blue Mesa is freezing up now, so we're approaching a month away from that event. Ice is looking good. Um, so sign up for ice addiction now uh, and just stay tuned as we uh, start doing a lot more updates on our Facebook page as, as the ice season rolls out. All right, my friend. Just so you know, our next segment is uh, Andy Cochran from Blue Mesa. We'll be updating people. They may want to stay tuned and listen to that. We'll talk to you next week. I love it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I said next segment. It's actually two segments. Our next segment is going to be our dog training segment with uh, Ben Garcia. And uh, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to, to talk to Ben about... Should you, what should you do if you're hunting with a pointer and a flusher at the same time? On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Every other week, T-Mobile, who are becoming the 5G choice among outdoor enthusiasts, they are really striving to get their network out to the outdoor enthusiasts. We use our phone so much. We use GPS. We look for information. We use uh, just a, a apps like iNatural. T-Mobile is really, really just stepping up for the outdoor community. And they bring us our dog training segment from Ben Garcia at Hideaway Kennels. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you this morning? I'm great. I'm great. We got some snow and it made a nice cool morning. So it's been great. So, yeah. And well, you know, it, it's, uh, I think everybody, as much as when we're sitting on our patio and it's 70 degrees, doesn't want to see it be 10 above with snow, but it really changes things for the hunters. Speaking of that, I teased this a little bit in the last segment. So I got a friend, he's gonna, he wants me to go hunting with him. He's got an access uh, he's going to bring along another guy. I bring my dog. Turns out the other guy brings his dog. 
One dog is trained to be a pointer. One dog is trained to flush. How do you address that situation? Yeah, I think one is it depends on the experience of the dog and, and two, you know, the age of the dog. So I, most people, obviously in conversation, attract to each other. Hey, I got a puppy. You got a puppy. Let's go run. And, and when you're mixing pointers and flushers, the thing I always suggest is, one is there's a way to really upset your friend, and that's either to talk bad about his wife or his dog, right? So you never want to do that on a hunt. So I always tell people, like, the best thing to do is put one in the car, hunt it for the first hour, put that one up, get the second one out, hunt it for an hour, and just rotate fields, rotate hours, and, and break up the hunt that way. Because what happens when you have a pointer on point, the flusher is going to come in and flush the bird. They're both going to go back to their genetics of what they're going to do. The second or third point into that, that pointer is going to start looking over its shoulder and go, oh, somebody's going to take my bird and flush the bird themselves. And then about the fourth bird, your, your flusher is going to go, hey, that pointer is on point 100 yards out. I need to get there and flush the birds. And it's just way too much on those younger dogs. Um, traditionally, what you would want is your lab to sit and back the pointer when it's on point. But on young dogs, probably not going to happen. So the best bet is the best bet to do is just to separate them out from hunts. Or the thing I was telling you, if you're up in Montana and you're doing a hunt on, on six thousand acres, one person goes north, one person goes west, and you guys just rendezvous back in the car forty five minutes later and just enjoy the hunt with your pup yourself. Now, if you have older dogs, can you well can they be trained well enough to hunt together, or is it still not a great idea? If they're trained, yeah. I mean, really, if they're trained, it's not a big deal. I mean, if you. You know, um, you know some some trainers will have the the lab or the flusher, springer or whatever it is, sit down when the other dog's on point on a whistle command or just an observation, sit down on point. If you got him trained for that to wait, and then you can tell the pointer to whoa, and then tell the flusher, okay, flush him whenever he's in position. It makes a great hunt. They're absolutely a blast to do. But if you're kind of getting a feeling of hey, I don't know, you know how this is going to work, it's better just to separate out. The the one the other one we see more of Terry. Other than that, the problem is somebody that's got their dogs trained and they've got a friend who's got a younger puppy and they just want to come along for the hunt. And then the puppy ends up blowing the birds out and ruining the hunt. And then you got some situations there never getting fed back again. You know, so generally, um, if somebody has a dog that's not trained, what I was somebody is, you know, that lunchtime when everybody's sitting around the trucks eating a sandwich, taking a nap or whatever they're doing is that's the time to take the puppy out that's not trained and let them run around and, and let them have fun instead of that first morning where there's birds everywhere and it causes some problems on the hunt. Well, really, you really should address these before you go out so that it's handled properly. I mean, I think most people do, but I think you get excited. You're planning a hunt. There's two or three guys involved, and everybody doesn't talk to everybody. That's usually how it ends up like that, right? Right, and everybody has a different definition of trained. You know, I mean, it's 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 the same as my definition of fishing compared to yours, and that's where putting a plan together before you go on a hunt is the best thing. I mean, I have two clients that, that are really good friends of mine. And every year they go to Montana for, for, you know, two or three weeks of bird hunting. And, and they have two or three meetings before they go. I mean, they've got maps. They've got vets ahead that they've called ahead if they get a snake bite. They, they've got everything planned out, ready to go. And um, they have a full binder of, of game plan to go. And they, they run their dogs together in the summer to get ready for it. And they have a very successful hunt and a very good time just in planning it. You know, and like we've always talked about is elbowing hunts, unfortunately, and waterfowl hunts, most of the time aren't strategically planned. It's just throw some decoys out and let's go walk this field and people aren't looking at corners and not looking at wind direction or setting conditions. And it really would increase your hunt to do some planning ahead of time. Okay. Now, another thing you and I talked about, or we talked earlier in the week and you said one thing you wanted to talk about too, is that people take the dog out and they get the first bird 
and they make some mistakes how they handle that bird with a dog. Uh, yeah, and I've seen it a lot this year, um, just either in people's videos on social media or hunts I've watched happening. Is they'll, they'll shoot that first bird for their dog. They're happy. They're great. They're celebrating it. And then what they do is they give the bird back from the dog. The dog drops it in their hand, and they sit there, and they throw it 20 times to the dog, and they're going to make it more excited for the dog. And then they start walking, and they can't figure out why the dog's not leaving them. But the dogs watch what you just threw through for it. Put it in, you, They watch you put it in your vest, and they can still smell it, and you're just drawing the attention there. So really what you're doing is you're just bringing your dog in and, and getting rid of the desire to go out because they know they can stay in and be rewarded with the retreat. So I'll somebody like, get the bird back from them, pet them up, let them smell, tell them they're a good dog, put it back in your vest, get them a drink of water, get them a treat, and then just walk on. And uh, because it really creates bad habits. It, what it creates is that dog to get a bird to you, and then they think there's going to be more, and then you can't get your dog to hunt, and then you're getting frustrated with dogs walking behind you looking at your vest, but you created that situation by what you did when you were hunting. Last thing I want to mention before we go and run out of time here, Christmas is barreling down on us. A lot of people like to buy either gifts for dog owners or they want to buy a Christmas gift for the dog. You got a couple suggestions? Yeah, the one I like, and, and we're seeing more people using much as smart, and, and then let's face it, we're in a drought right now here in the West. Everybody's asking. We get about four or five emails, if not more, a week about it, and these are these dog boots. Um, Ruffler is the one I really like to use. Um, they've got one you can use in the snow, and they've got one you can use on the trail um, or out hunting. And um, the thing I like about it, it's got a vibrant sole in it, which, if, if you know, it's a steel shank in there to, to protect their paw. But it, you can, it's got grip on there. It works like really good on their feet. But I think that's a great gift for everybody. I mean, you're going to go for a hike. You're going to go snowshoeing. You're going to do those things. And, and it's a good gift to get the dog under. And, um, but you want to make sure you practice with your dog before you take them out on a hike. Because I don't know if you've seen it, Terry. It's hilarious when you put the dog boots on the dog for the first time and they start walking. So you may want to do some yeah, walks around the block and some, you know, some walks and hikes before you start that hunt with those boots. Yeah, it, it, it makes great Facebook video the first time you put them on. <laughs> it doesn't it? <laughs> as many times as I don't, I still laugh every time. And I'm not laughing at the dog. I'm just laughing at the situation. But it is. Yeah. It is I, and the tip on that you can do, too, is you can take some athletic tape and wrap it around the top. You know, like some people would do like a foam tape and then athletic tape so then the boot doesn't come off. But the tip I'll give everybody on boots is make sure you buy an extra pair. So if you lose one or, or some, it comes off in the hunt, you got a backup pair ready to go. So, all right. So we're out of time, Ben. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, either for training or just information, how do they do that? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of us is from our webpage at hideawaykennels.com, or they can look us up on Facebook at Hideaway Kennels. All right, my friend. Have a great Christmas. I will. You won't be on for a while because we're on location next week, and then we're actually taking Christmas and New Year's off. So we'll talk to you next year, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to be doing some duck hunting, so I think it should be fun during that time. So we'll, we'll chat in between there and give each other reports on how it's going. And so, All right. Thanks, thanks, Ben. We'll talk thanks to you soon. Bye. You bet. Ben from Hideaway Kennels. Great, great people. We're going to take a time out. And then, as I promised, we're going to be joined by the folks from uh, Blue Mesa, and we're going to find out if the conditions are changing there like they are in the rest of the state. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from GSO Outfitters is Andy Cochran. Good morning, Andy. 
Hey, good morning, Terry. How's it going today? It's going good. You know, I spoke to you not that long ago, and we were both lamenting the fact that, uh, you know, winter hadn't showed up, and we were concerned about how it was going to affect things. Well, I guess in the last couple of days it showed up. Did that happen there, too? Yep, winter finally came. Um, it is back to a normal Gunnison winter. I uh, checked this morning about 7.30. It was nine below zero, so it is winter in Gunnison once again. And so we want to talk, we, we were even going to talk some open water fishing, which still might be available, but is this, are you starting to see the signs? Is it affecting the ice? So we had a little bit of the upper end of the lake freeze about two weeks ago. Uh, the ice skaters are really enjoying it, but they were falling through every once in a while, which they're prepared for that, but. As far as fishermen are concerned, it never really got stable enough for us to get on it until about last weekend. And then a couple of our crew went out last weekend to check conditions on that little bit that was frozen and found about three inches of good ice there. So headed into this week, that whole section of ice was fishable, but with high caution. So what happened during the week, of course, is we got a lot of snow, which down here in the in the valley floor was actually pretty wet, heavy snow. So, again, we're going to proceed on that what was frozen section of Blue Mesa. We might proceed with some caution on that one for a little while with that heavy, wet snow kind of compressing that not real thick ice. But now that that storm has blown through, it dropped the water temps like eight degrees which a lot of the lake was on the verge of freezing anyways and now that we hit below zero temperatures and we'll stay there now for the rest of the winter we're going to start building ice very quickly okay so it sounds like if not yet it's going to be very soon that people can be venturing out and chasing uh with a wide variety of fish i understand the part about the snow you know the word the snow is great if it falls on open water. It's not so great when it falls on ice because it insulates it and puts weight on it. But it was such a small piece. Are there portions of the lake that are ready now or that will be within days, you think? Yeah, within days, what we're going to see is that whole canyon section, like from the inlet all the way through the canyon past Elk Creek Marina, It'll start forming ice all the way through that canyon really quickly. I would imagine in the next week it'll be capped, and a lot of that stuff will be thick enough to walk on probably within a week. And what kind of fishing do you expect? Early ice in most lakes is very good. Is that what you expect in that section? And are are most species available there or just certain ones? The water level is going to change what historically we expect this time of year out there. So what the only species that we may not see on this early ice are the really big lake trout. There's going to be some pups moved up on that inlet section, but our depth to the bottom now and most of that stuff that's going to freeze is like 40 to 50 feet deep, which is plenty deep enough for lake trout but it's all river canyon kind of stuff so the flats the drop-offs the humps that are underwater that a lot of these fish are going to use through the winter are going to be really shallow like 
10 to 25 feet deep, which actually sets up great for pup lake trout and little wolf packs. Yellow perch and brown trout are going to be on a lot of that structure. And then lake-wide, this thing's full of rainbows, so those are always available there, too. Now, we mentioned the water being down. Uh, I think maybe we should refresh people. They pulled a lot of water out of Blue Mesa to put water into um, Lake Powell. How far down is it from where it typically would be this time of the year? Yeah, good point. So they stopped the water release at the end of October. At that point, the lake kind of peaked out at 91 feet low. Uh, since they shut the dam down at the end of October, the lake has actually come up almost four feet. So we're sitting about 86, 87 feet low. So just make a note of that on your underwater contour maps as you're headed this way to fish. That's going to eliminate quite a bit of water. I mean, a lot of times in a normal year, normal water year, they typically hold Blue Mesa about 30 feet low. So we're you know, 50 feet plus lower than what we're all used to fishing out here in the winter. So it's going to condense a lot of the fishery, which is going to make it really good for fishing. Um, And the positive there, too, is that the lake has come up far enough that in the spring when it thaws out, we're going to have Elk Creek boat ramp available right right out of the gate, too, which we're a little concerned about water level wise. But now we look like Everything is going to be fine for ice out, but. Now, what about access for ice anglers? Now, uh, can they drive down close enough to access the lake? Are they going to have to walk further? Can you take ATVs and snowmobiles on Blue Mesa? Sure. So you are allowed to basically drive offshore off road below the high water mark on blue mesa so that does open up a lot of area where you can drive your vehicle out on this new exposed shoreline which will help eliminate quite a bit of hiking um you are allowed to take snowmobiles four-wheelers side-by-sides on the ice but there's, I believe it's a 1,200-pound weight limit. So, of course, that eliminates vehicles on the ice, but these small ATV types and snowmobiles are allowed on the ice. And really, the only thing that would deter you from being able to drive, you know, kind of offshore out under the high water mark to get out towards the water would just be the snow level. And at this point, um, like say it was a real heavy wet snow that settled out really good. So there's just a couple inches of ice or sorry, a couple of inches of snow along the shoreline. So traveling in your truck or your SUV is not a big deal right now. Okay. Yeah, that will limit because even down as far as it is, Blue Mesa is still a very large body of water. Now, when you head out into some of this early ice, um, you're gonna. You said you're gonna be targeting mostly the smaller lakers, the browns, some rainbows, and some perch. Any particular tactics you like to do right away? Do you fish deep? Do you fish shallow? Any presentations that you use a lot? Yeah, early ice is when we find our most aggressive and most moving fish. Um, so, a lot of heavy bottom contact lures that really stir up a lot of mud, attract a lot of attention as they're cruising by fast. 
uh, spoons that make a lot of noise, rattle spoons, rattle traps, those kind of lures, uh, chicken wraps, stuff with a lot of action, a lot of flash, a lot of noise is what we really start out with on this early ice season. And that's pretty much species wide. And then as far as water depth, we always find these fish to be very shallow at early ice. So a lot of times we'll find brown trout from three feet deep down to 10 feet deep, really hitting the shorelines hard. I think there's a lot of crayfish that are still up in that what was the warmest water, and they're just barely going to start moving to deep water as the ice is forming. So that holds a lot of predator fish really, really shallow for here for the first two or three weeks of ice. Okay. And lastly, Andy, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you guys, they wanted some information, how would they do that? Uh, best thing is probably just our website, gsofishing.com. And as we go through winter here, we always try to keep an ice report going every week on our Facebook page, and that's at GSO Fishing. And we also do on Instagram at GSO Fishing. We'll keep weekly ice reports going, kind of keep everybody up to date on how the ice is progressing down the lake, thicknesses, any sort of sketchy spots to look out for, pressure ridges lakeside access, all that stuff we try to cover on a weekly basis throughout the winter for everybody. All right, my friend, thank you for joining us. Looks like we finally got winter and people can start scratching that itch to get out on the ice. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of calls. There's, of course, tight lines coming back this winter for Blue Mesa Tournament, and so all signs are pointing to that's going to be a really great event. The access is going to be good, and there's going to be plenty of ice, so everybody can start gearing up for that one. All right. Yeah, Nate talked about that earlier, so that'll be great, that ice addiction. So that'll be, we'll, you know, we may have to get you on just before it and uh, give people some tips. Yeah, we'll definitely keep everybody posted on our Facebook, and then we'll get a hold of you that week before, and Everybody that's coming this direction, we'll give them a heads up on what conditions are and what the fish are doing. And Yeah, we're looking forward to that. It's always a great event. Sounds good. Thank you, Andy. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Happy holidays. Thank you. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too. Merry Christmas. That's Andy Cochran from GSO uh, Gunnison Sports Outfitters. Great people. They're happy to help you out, share information, really know their stuff. So we're going to try what we've done today to keep you posted. We got one more segment though. Let's take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan brought to you in part by T-Mobile. T-Mobile is bringing 5G to the outdoors for all your outdoor activities are we call them phones. I don't know what kind of device she should be. Are so important to everything we outdo do any uh, anything we do outdoors anymore. I was looking at my notes, and uh, as we wrap things up, one of the things that came out from every one of the ice fishermen, and we had several on today, updating us on conditions, and they tend to fish shallow and active presentations early in the year. Trout tend to cruise shallow. Uh, active presentations will draw them in, and uh, 
even your electronics become a lot less important. So that was a very common theme that everybody had. I'll post some podcasts on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'm going to post the dog training one too, because Ben had some great tips on what to do with two different types of dog on a hunt that don't interact the same way. I think we need to get that out there. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We not only post podcasts from the show, we tell you what's coming up. We give you up-to-the-date reports if we're out in the field and from other people. And with all this ice fishing going on, go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We have a ton of ice fishing on that channel, and a lot of it was filmed right here in Colorado. Now, I want to know, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? Yeah, now, real quick, I was on uh, your Facebook page, and you guys post, like, you know, the safety of the thickness of the ice. And, uh, you know, because it says, like, at this depth, you know, this is safe, you can walk. And at this depth, you can have, like, your little tent and stuff. And you get, you know, a certain depth, you can have, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a hut. And I always have the same thought, Leo, because at, at one depth, you know, you can say you put a truck. And I always just think to myself, are you guys nuts? No way. One, I'm never stepping on ice, you know, hardly ever. But I'm not driving a truck on ice, Terry. Are you guys out of your mind? I'll tell you what, Dan, seriously, there's no such thing as safe ice, but if you use common sense, ice fishing can be very safe. When I lived up in Minnesota, a lot of times we did half our fishing right out of the truck. Yeah. We drove all over the lakes. My common and sense it, says it, stay off the ice. <laughs> well, you don't have much common sense That's, anyway. Well, I, I so have that, that much, yeah, no. But, uh, yeah. You know, I do have a question for you, though. You know, last week you were talking that if people donated to your charity... Uh-huh. That you might arrange a, you might you might arrange a meet and greet with some right. of the hosts on the fan. Yes. Well, Karen wants to know since she sent in our donation if that means she doesn't have to spend time. Well, with that's me. right because I said you know if anybody wanted to donate like two hundred fifty bucks, I I I thought they could you know go fishing with you. Um, so which I think I'll still throw that offer out there if anybody wants to go fishing with Terry. Two hundred fifty bucks. You should check with me before you do that. Well, I don't need to because I, I know Karen. Karen will hook that up, you know, so they could do that. Two hundred fifty bucks to uh, our, our free meals program. I'll get you on, on the ice with Terry. Um, so, but by the way, you're out there doing beautiful things. Uh, by every time, I always ask, uh, you know, because you guys are out. Where are we out? Where were you this week? Some tropical Florida. location. You're out in Florida, and I always say, you know, uh, I think because Terry, you work hard. You're a hard worker. Uh, I say, you know, you should surprise Terry. You should take him out on one of those big commercial charter boats and get him fishing lessons so he can learn how to fish. Don't you think that'd be a beautiful gift for you? You're such a hardworking young man. Uh-huh. You're such a sweetheart. Hey, I do have some Broncos questions. I assume you're going to talk about the Broncos today. We, there is an good. Army Nate. Yeah, but, you know, that's probably the main topic in Denver right now. First, I have two, but first, special teams. How long can that guy be a special teams coach with the way these special teams perform? Well, here's the problem. Okay, so we're week whatever, 13, whatever it is. Uh, you're you're going to fire the guy. What what qualified person are you going to bring in for the rest of the season? It's just you, you want well, well, to fire the guy. You don't have a qualified person there now. What's the difference? But, I mean, oh, so who are you going to promote? The guy that was underneath him? You know, it's just yeah, getting worse. Know. You know, it's, it's you, you know. satisfy the masses by firing a guy, but you, what you, it's, it's probably going to get worse. It's going to look better. It's going to make you feel better, but you're probably going to make the situation worse because you don't have anybody qualified to replace him. I know. Last question: Is Pat Shermer ever going to um, play Drew Locke before the end of the year? No. Why would you? He's terrible. Well, why not? I mean, if you're not going anywhere anyway, you think. 
Teddy Bridgewater isn't terrible. Well, he's less. He's the lesser of two evils. I mean, he's he gives you. A, I'm not 100 they, they sure win. of that anymore. They, they think they think if they can continue winning, they can save their jobs. So they're going to play the guy that gives them. He's not great, but he's he's better than Drew Locke. I'm not so sure. Anyway, we're past the time. I got to get off here so that so that Ty can do a station update. So I will close Thanks, this Terry. out, and you can start your show. All right. Thanks, Terry. All right. So we're going to wrap up Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We want to thank everybody that joined us. Thank Ty in the studio. Thank Karen here in the studio in Fort Collins. We'll let the Eagles take us to the the update and Dan Jacobs' the sports on 104.3 The Fan.